Hello everyone, my name is Ashton and today we are going to be discussing Susan B. Anthony and the life she had and her impact on society. She was born on February 15, 1820 in Adams, Massachusetts, meaning if she was still alive today, she would be about 200 years old. She was born into a large family with seven brothers and sisters, meaning there was probably never a dull moment in that household. Her father, Daniel, was a farmer and later a cotton mill owner and was raised as a Quaker. Her mother, Lucy, came from a family that fought in the American Revolution and served in the Massachusetts state government. Susan is best known as a social reformer and women's rights activist who played a huge role in women's political voting movement. From an early age, she was always inspired by the Quakers' belief that everyone was equal under God and everyone should have social equality. She was very passionate about this. Her inspiration motivated her and guided her through her life. In 1826, her and her family moved to Benton, New York, where her dad managed a large cotton mill. Anthony was then sent to a boarding Quaker school where she was very unhappy and didn't like anything about it. At the age of 17, she began to collect anti-slavery petitions to try to make a change in this society. Soon after, the Great Depression took place. This caused Daniel Anthony, Susan's father, to take her and her sister out of the boarding school due to bankruptcy and the loss of their home. This was a very tragic time in their life, as you could only imagine. The family had no choice but to auction off everything they owned, but luckily, their uncle bought everything back to help support the family during this tough time. To help assist her family financially, Anthony left her home and went on to teach at a boarding school for a yearly salary of $110. We can't imagine trying to live on $110 a year today in this time. The family then moved to a farm, which is now Brooks Avenue in Rochester, New York, on a canal. There, they associated with a Quaker social reformers who had left their congregation because of the restrictions it placed on reform activities. And in 1848, found a new organization called the Congregational Friends. The Anthony Farmstead soon became the Sunday afternoon gathering place for local activists, including Frederick Douglass, a former slave who became Anthony's lifelong friend. As several others in that group were already doing, the Anthony family began to attend services at the church locally in Rochester. It was associated with social reforms, and the Rochester Women's Rights Convention of 1848 was held at that church. The first Women's Rights Convention, which was held two weeks earlier in a nearby town. Anthony's parents and her sister attended the Rochester Convention, but Anthony unfortunately did not. She had moved to Cano Jarrah in 1846 to become headmistress of the female department of the academy. Away from the Quaker influence for the first time in her life, at the age of 26, she began to replace her plain clothing with more stylish dresses, and she quit using the and other forms of speech traditionally used by Quakers. She was interested in social reform and was distressed at being paid much less than men with similar jobs. She thought it was so unfair, as you can only imagine but she was amused by her father's enthusiasm over Rochester Women's Rights Convention. She later explained that she wasn't ready to vote, didn't want to vote, but she did want equal pay for equal work. When the Canogera Academy closed in 1849, three years later after it opened, Anthony took over the operation of the family farm in Rochester so her father could devote more time to his insurance business. He was doing everything in his power to make a living for the family. She worked at this task for a couple of years, but found herself increasingly drawn to reform activity. With her parents' support, she was fully engaged in reform work. 
For the rest of her life, she lived almost entirely on fees she earned as a speaker. In 1851, Anthony was introduced to Elizabeth Stanton, who became one of the organizers of this Seton Falls Convention and had introduced the controversial resolution in support of women's suffrage. Anthony and Stanton were introduced by Amelia Bloomer, a feminist and mutual acquaintance who had not signed the Declaration of Sentiments and subsequent resolution, despite her attendance to the convention. Anthony and Satan soon became very close friends and co-workers, forming a relationship that was huge for them and the women's movement as a whole. The two women had complementary skills. Anthony excelled in organizing, while Satan had a good intelligence in matters in writing. Anthony was dissatisfied with her own writing ability and wrote relatively little for publication. When historians illustrate her thoughts with direct quotes, they usually take them from her speeches, letters, and diary entries. Because Satan was homebound with seven children, while Anthony was unmarried and free to travel, Anthony assisted her by supervising her children while Satan wrote. Anthony was good at strategy. Her discipline, energy, and ability to organize made her strong and successful leader. Anthony and Satan co-founded the American Equal Rights Association. In 1868, they became editors of the association's newspaper, The Revolution, which helped them spread the ideas of equality and women's rights. Anthony began to lecture to raise money for publishing the newspaper and to support the suffrage movement. She became famous throughout the country. Many people admired her, yet others hated her ideas. When Congress passed the 14th and 15th Amendment, which gives rights, voting rights to African-American men, Anthony was very angry and opposed the legislation because it did not include women's to write. Anthony and Stanton's beliefs led them to slip from the suffrages. They thought the amendment should also have given women the right to vote. They formed a National Women's Suffrage Association to push the constitutional amendment giving women the right to vote. In 1872, Anthony was arrested for voting. She was the criminal trial of Susan B. Anthony, a U.S. federal court, in 1873. Anthony argued that she had the right to vote because they had recently adopted the 14th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution, which reads, No state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges of immunities of the citizens of the United States. The judge, Ward Hunt, was recently appointed U.S. Supreme Court Justice who had responsibly for the federal court circuit which the child was held. He did not allow the jurors to discuss this case, but instead directed them to find Anthony immediately guilty. On the final day of the trial, he asked Anthony if she had anything to say. She had previously not been permitted to speak, but responded with one of the historians of the women's movement has called the most famous speech in history. Repeatedly ignoring the judge's order to sit down and stop talking, she protested to what she called this high-handed outrage upon my citizens' right. She has also protested the injustice of denying the women's right to vote. When Justice, when Justice Hunt sentenced Anthony to pay a fine of $100, she said that she would never do so. Hunt then announced that Anthony would not be jailed for the failure to pay the fine, a move that then affected for preventing her from taking her case to the Supreme Court. Fourteen other Rochester women who lived in Anthony's ward, also voted in that election and were also arrested, but the government never took them to trial. The election inspectors who allowed the women to vote were arrested, tried, and found guilty. They were pardoned by President Ulysses S. Grant after being judged for refusing to pay the fines imposed by the court. The trial, which was closely followed by the national press, helped make women's suffrage a national issue, as it should be. It was a major step in the transition of women's rights movement 
from one that encompassed a number of issues into one that focused primarily on women's suffrage. Judge Hunt's directed verdict created a controversy within the legal community that lasted for years. In 1895, the Supreme Court ruled that the federal judge could not direct jury and return a guilty verdict in criminal trial. Susan B. Anthony made a huge impact on society today, and now women is, are allowed to vote. She was a very successful person and lived a great life, as you can imagine. We are very thankful for all she has done for us today and to help women's rights. Hello, it's Ashton. Today we are back with another podcast. We will be talking about kidnapping. Did you know that nearly 800,000 kids each year are reported missing due to kidnapping? That is more than 2,000 a day. Kidnapping is to take someone away illegally by force, typically to obtain a ransom. Kidnapping of children is usually by one parent against the wishes of a parent or guardian. Kidnapping of adults is often for ransom or to force someone to withdraw money from the ATM, but may also be for the purpose of sexual assault. In the past and present in some parts of the world, kidnapping is a common mean used to obtain slaves or money through ransom. Kidnapping has been identified as one source by which terrorist organizations have been known to obtain funding. Law in the United States follows from English common law. The fact that a kidnapping victim may have been taken across the state line being a crime within the state and admit a federal criminal law. Most states recognize different types of kidnappings and punishment accordingly. For example, New York bases its definition of first-degree kidnapping on the duration and purpose. There are several different types of kidnapping in the United States of America, and among these are the first one is the extreme logistical challenges involved in successfully exchanging the money for the return of the victim without being apprehended. The second is harsh punishment. Convicted kidnappers face lengthy prison time, and if a victim is brought across the state line, federal charges can be laid as well. The third is good cooperation and information shared between law enforcement agencies and tools for spreading information to the public, such as the Amber Alert system. As legally defined, abduction is when someone uses force in order to take a person or a child away from their home. Abduction and kidnapping is very similar. In these cases, the victim most often knows or has some sort of relation with the abductor. Making abductions one of the most prevalent issues that arise during separation, divorces, and custody battles amongst two parents. Kidnapping is the taking away or fully transporting a person against their own will, holding them in false imprisonment or without legal authority. The kidnapping is usually done for a motive or for some ransom. Kidnapping usually involves the earning of profits from family or the victim in order for them to be set free. In kidnapping, it is not necessarily the case that the victim knows. It may just be likely as an unstable stranger from the streets comes up to approach them. That's when the kidnapping is most likely to happen. For abductions, it is most often the case that the abductor is a family member, such as a father or mother, who may be involved in a custody battle, divorce, or any other kind of family issues going on in their lives. Abducting the child is one method they might use to try to make a statement about their case. There are many different types of kidnapping stories that you hear around the world every day. 
In 2002, a 15-year-old Chamberlain was watering her friend's plants when a man drove up in a car and asked her to come closer so he could give her a brochure. When she got close enough, he put a gun to her neck, forced her to get in his trunk. She was then held inside the container in a trunk and repeatedly was sexually assaulted. After 18 hours, she escaped by waiting for her captor to fall asleep. She wriggled out of the restraint and ran out the front door. She eventually flagged someone down to help her. Of course, she was very lucky to escape, but she doesn't realize how lucky she was. Her kidnapper turned out to be Richard Avanches, who was later connected to three murders, making him a serial killer. He ended up shooting himself when he was cornered by the police in 2002. Chamberlain has used her experience to help others. She quoted, I currently use my traumatic experience as well as my years of work in law enforcement to speak to groups around the country. I tell my story to help educate those who work with victims and empower individuals to be the best version of themselves they can, regardless of their past. Another story is a 13-year-old Klaus went missing from her West Wisconsin home on October 15th, the same night her parents were found shot inside. She was quickly ruled out as a suspect. For months, authority pursued thousands of tips, watched dozens of surveillance videos, and conducted numerous searches in the effort to find to find her, and led officials recruit 2,000 volunteers to massive the ground searching for her. However, on January 10th, she was found outside a small town of Gordon, about an hour away from her home. According to CNN, Gordon arrested Christina Knaz, who was at the home when her neighbor pounded on the door and explained that she had found Klaus. The neighbor said that Klaus approached her while she was walking the dog and was so unavered that she refused to say her name. A suspect in the deaths of her parents in the kidnapping was taken into custody. Barron County Sheriff Chris Smith announced a press conference in January 2019 that the 20-year-old Jake Thomas Patterson was being held on the charges of homicide for the murder of her parents, as well as for the kidnapping. He pleaded guilty and was sentenced to life in prison with the possibility of parole. We don't realize how quickly and easy a kidnapping can happen, so we have to make sure that we are always to be very careful of who we talk to and who we are around. We make sure that we be aware of our surroundings at all times. If you ever feel like you're in an uncomfortable situation or around people you don't feel comfortable with, make your way out of the situation as quickly as possible. It is so common these days that we have to be extra careful in our everyday lives to protect ourselves and protect and to protect others.